So hello and welcome to Something Who episode 20. Today I'm talking with podcaster extraordinaire and Lego fanatic Stephen Chapansky. You'll almost certainly have heard Stephen on Radio Free Scaro, which is pretty much the definitive Doctor Who podcast. And he's also been a contributor to and guest on many other podcasts, as well as offering professional behind-the-scenes services to other podcasters. So welcome to Something Who, Stephen. Thank you very much, Richard. It's, uh, it's great to have you here. So as you, as you well know, Stephen, what we're going to talk about today are Doctor Who's missing episodes, and I guess you know, the whole phenomenon around them including eventually the incredibly creative ways that the fan community has sought to fill the void. But before we get there, I wanted to read something to you. And, right. um, and I wonder if you can work out maybe who, who said it and where. Okay. So, I mean, you know, no worries if you don't. Quizzes. I love quizzes. It's just a bit of fun. Okay. Television is an instant medium, hard to recapture once it's left the screen. Many of the Doctor's early television adventures are lost forever. Enormous pressure on storage space forces the BBC to wipe the tapes of a large proportion of its output. A certain number of Doctor Who shows have been preserved for the television archives, but many more are gone for good. Lost as TV shows, that is. Any, any idea who might have said that and when and where? Oh, um... I'm going to throw a guess out there. Is it Malcolm Hulk in the making of Doctor Who? I don't know. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, that's a remarkably good guess. In fact, it's, <laughs> uh, it's Terence Dix and Malcolm Hulk. Um, All right. And, yeah, it's written in uh, 1977 in the, the second edition of it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, 1976. Uh, I think I probably read it in 1977. And I remember reading those words, so I suppose I was probably nine years old when I read that chapter and I'd already been reading target books for two or three years at the time and you know Terence Dix was the guy who'd, read, who'd written a lot of them and the making of Doctor Who's really quite a you know fun read it, it, it takes you behind the, the, the scenes everything and then the absolute sting in the tail just as you're sort of you know about to put the, the book back on the shelf and relax and, and maybe think about doing something else he uh he sticks as with that. So, so that was my introduction to the idea that episodes were missing. I wonder what was yours. Uh, I think you know I probably had read in books that things were missing, but just never quite grasped what the concept was until I want to say early '90s, when here in Canada, a, a TV station called YTV stands for Young Television, I think. For some odd reason, they decided to buy up everything that the BBC ever owned right? as part of their... So, like, for some reason, this kids' network was airing, like, the young ones and, <laughs> like, seven. Right. And that that's where I saw the tripods back in the early 90s as well and fell in love mm. with that show. But what they also brought was all of Doctor Who, including uh, the William Hartnell and Patrick Chowton eras. And I hadn't seen it on my relatively local PBS station, which is where I watched all my Doctor Who. I sort yeah. of, they aired, I think, the uh, the black and whites during the year that I wasn't watching Doctor Who because we didn't have a, a VCR to record them. So I never watched it, so I missed it. Hmm. And so this is my first chance to ever watch black and white Doctor Who. It was very exciting for me. Yeah. And uh, that I, I think I noticed because I had an episode guide that, okay, well, they skipped over Marco Polo for some reason, but whatever. And then another couple that aren't in there that, okay, so what I guess they didn't have the rights for it or whatever. 
And then uh, they went right to the war machines after the time meddler. And I initially thought, okay, I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe, maybe they just, I blamed it on the TV station essentially yeah. because, you know, TV stations get these things mixed up all the time. But then once the war machines stopped... And the next uh, day was part one of the Dominators. I realized, okay, something is up. Hmm. Why uh, uh, TV stations don't normally screw up and, and, and miss three years of Doctor Who in between, but that's exactly what happened. And I think I stumbled on the reason that, oh, wow, some of these are actually missing. Hmm. So that that's when I kind of got the cold, hard slap in the face. I didn't exact. I was taping them at the time. I don't think I actually had tapes prepared for <laughs> the smugglers and stuff. But uh, yeah. but I, I I think I was yeah. Uh, it was it was a it was a bit it was a gradual slap in the face. I yes. think as opposed to a a lot of people who read I think what 1981 the uh, Doctor Who magazine special, which had a list of all the stuff that was missing. Yeah, a roll call of all the all the. The, the vacant uh, episodes. I never had that sort of slap in the face, but it, it was a uh, it was a bit of a, a sad occasion. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting because because I mean I, I well remember that that magazine and and looking through the listings and seeing you know so much stuff was uh, was missing. But I guess in a way, although that was that you know that was um, heartbreaking, it also was practically it wasn't making that much difference to me because. I wasn't getting to see Doctor Who archive Doctor Who anyway. You know, there were there were no, at this stage no VHS. The BBC wasn't repeating them. Mm-hmm. I know my Australian friend has a very different view on this because you know he he was seeing them all the time, repeated over there. But but yeah, in in in, in this country, it, it it was a sort of theoretical thing because essentially you know all of the, all of it might as well have been missing for all that I could see it, and it was really only. You know, at about the time you're talking about that, it started to hit home for me too. As the VHSs start to come out, and there's uh, and there's only a limited number of them that that, uh, that they can produce, you, you sort of realise, um, you know, practically, you know, that's what makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I I never bought the uh, the VHSs or DVDs because they were always we were lucky. We were lucky yeah, yeah. in North America at that time in the 80s and early 90s where they were just r- repeated regularly around the clock. Yeah. And it's you know it is fascinating because I've I've actually gone back to look at the original broadcast of the uh, PBS station KSPS in Spokane that aired Doctor Who for me and just to see the original broadcast dates of when they aired these stories because sometimes I can tie my own tele- my own childhood memories into yeah. when I watched a story for the first time so it was like piecing together a a history of my own life as opposed to you know Doctor Who airing on some tv station so and it, it was i think it was 1986 the only year that i that i stopped watching doctor who <laughs> was when is when they aired the, that black and white stuff and i right. uh, uh you know had i had i had we had a vcr and i could tape it when my parents were watching something else and doctor who was on maybe i would have been exposed to the missing episodes um situation a lot mm. earlier than i had been yeah uh, I mean, I guess one of the interesting aspects of, of, of the missing episodes situation is how much creativity it, it subsequently sparked. I mean, I guess initially somebody at the BBC cottoned on to the fact that actually sold a lot of this stuff overseas. And so there was a, a scramble in the late 70s and early 80s to try and see if some of it could be found. Although somewhat half-hearted scramble, it seems, in retrospect, 
uh-huh. you know, with 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 people kind of you know faxing or, or or ringing up stations rather than actually you know trying to see if if, if there's stuff there. So yeah, so that that helped to to fill some of the gaps. And then there were one or two things that started to come back in the in the mid eighties. And I remember you know being a fan at the time. You sort of look at Doctor Who magazine. Uh, Doctor Who Monthly, I suppose it was at the time, and you'd, you'd occasionally see, oh, the, the Abominable Snowman episode 2's been found, or Dalek Master Plan 5 and 10. And then the thing I, I guess I particularly remember was Evil of the Daleks 2 and Faceless Ones 3, because those were repeated at a convention I went to in the in the late 80s. And, and uh-huh. to actually see that unfold on the screen was, was quite magical, particularly given that you know the chances of seeing Troughton was pretty pretty limited, as, as I was describing earlier. I, I don't know. Were, were you aware of the um, of the find in Hong Kong of Tomb of the Cyberman? Did that? Yeah, that was that was the first big one. Uh, yeah, because I I can't remember. I was buying Doctor Who magazine at the time, but they weren't readily available. I was living in a small city outside Edmonton where I live today, hmm. and so I would have to like sort of make trips up usually via bus with a friend to go to comic shops and buy whatever Doctor Who uh, stuff I could find. And most often that was Doctor Who magazine. And I can't remember if I found out in Doctor Who magazine that it was found in late 91, but I think it was probably announced in January of 92. But credit to the uh, the PBS station that was airing Doctor Who because they rushed it, basically. And I think in June of 92 is when they actually aired Tomb of the Cybermen. All oh, right. It was a moment. Like I, I mm. kind of wish I still had the videotape of that because they had pledge breaks in between and everything. And it, it was just like, this is stunning. I'm watching like more or less brand new Doctor Who. Yeah. And I had idly been like just a, a few um, uh, months into my black and white journey as it was anyway. So to yeah. sort of like, so in, in many regards, I was sort of watching Tomb of the Cybermen for the first time, right along when I was watching most other black and white Doctor Who for the first time. But I think I was very much like aware of of that had it been recently found. But I didn't know any of the details about the missing episodes. That came much later on in life. But so I, I realized what an important find it was, mm. but I don't think I quite realized the scale of how big it was i didn't think that missing episodes were a a routine thing like they oh they always come back you know Mm. like it was was like seven years after tomb was found when they uh what crusade part one came back and then another three years after that was day of uh uh, of armageddon i think was the next one in 2002 yeah and then i think it was another what seven nine years i guess or 13 somewhere between discovery and announcement for the yeah, galaxy yeah. four and underwater menace and you realize like looking back like oh, that's actually years go in between yes. new episodes being found at the time i just sort of thought oh wow cool found another yeah. one well hopefully maybe next week they'll find some more yeah and it did feel i mean there was a period in the i guess the early to mid 80s when they were they were coming back a little bit more regularly i mean still not in any great quantity but it did feel like there was a chance that somewhere out in the world all of the episodes still exist if only we could find them and and I guess you're right. You know, it was only sort of after Tomb of the Cybermen in in the '90s that 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 um, stream dried up, and it became well, it started to feel like that was it. That that that, that perhaps we'd um, we were going to see that that was all we were going to see. And then yeah, there's been a small trickle since. But it, but interestingly, you know, even even back in the '80s, there were attempts to try and recover what we'd lost. I remember seeing at the same convention I saw Evil of the Daleks. 
somebody, I think it was Richard Marson maybe, had put together a, an off-air recording of Power of the Daleks with a bunch of telesnaps. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I wasn't um, aware enough, I guess, as a fan at that point, that, that, that all of these telesnaps had been taken in the 60s. In fact, I'm not sure that, that necessarily it was all that well known. And maybe maybe just a cache of, of the... Um, of the power ones had turned up, but he managed to to marry those to a bit of off-air audio. The off-air audio was very muddy in quality, and the the tele snaps were kind of you know it was it was like the what a slideshow. It was it was kind of hard to get all that enthusiastic about it, even though it was it was a, it was you know a fantastic effort to to bring mm-hmm. that one alive. But yeah, I mean even at that stage, the the, the fan creativity starting to to show. Yeah, it's. Uh, I remember I got the CD. Uh, what was it called? Uh, as a C- this, the one CD that they put out of the uh, the recon of Power of the Daleks with uh, Annika Wills doing the narration, and it was a proper actual telesnap recon. Yeah, that was. I mean, I still love Power of the Daleks to this day because of that right. telesnap recon. Yeah, uh, the animation's fine, but I still, you know, there's still a certain connection when you're watching the actual image that was on screen at the time, be it one yes. frame at a time than compared to an, an animation. There's a separation there, despite their best intentions, I think. So I cherish those telesnaps. Mm. Uh, you know, they, they weren't at all made for that reason. They yeah. were made for, like, basically actors to put on their CV. Look, I was on that program once. Hire me for future roles. That was, You know, th- that was what they were made for. And mm. then when John Kira passed away, I think his wife said, does anybody want these? No? Okay, I'll just file them away. So they, they went like, I think they went unfound until like the early 90s, I think, mm-hmm. those telesnaps. And it's tragic in a way because, you know, he, he died in 68. I think the last one he did was Mind Robber Part 3. So we don't have anything for the Space Pirates. Yeah. Uh, which is why the Space Pirates, honestly, is one of my most cherished missing episodes because mm. we know so little about it there's so few publicity photos uh there's the silent model footage and stuff but we don't know anything about what half those characters even look like yeah. uh Troughton and the main cast aren't even in studio for that last episode it's all on film that they shot six weeks before because of course they're make, shooting all the pre-roll uh, for for the war games so the telestaps are such a window into the world of stuff we know. So Troughton feels familiar because we have those telesnaps. Um, it's another reason why the John Wiles era is so intensely fascinating for me because it was such a time of turmoil behind the scenes and and the stories themselves are a lot darker mm. and uh, and they actually set in place like four-parters as being the norm for season three but we can't see any of it because John mm. Wiles has said this is an expense we don't need these yes. telesnaps so he he decommissions it so there are no telesnaps for the massacre or any or the Daleks master plan or any of that and i just find that so tragic uh yes. so uh, so yeah telesnaps i'm a big fan yeah i mean it, it was interesting talking with andrew ireland who made the uh, the remount of uh, mission to the unknown um, mm-hmm. the one that went out on on youtube he was saying you know that, that that played into his problems in terms of trying to to come up with you know with 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 the scenery and so on for for his remount there wasn't an awful lot of visual material to go on and he actually had to sit down 
um, with another fan, he said, and go through the stuff that that had managed to get off the internet and and say, yes, yes, that's a, that's that's a real picture. No, 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 that's just that's a, somebody else's fan recreation or Photoshop or something. Right. Uh, you know, and, until what they had left was kind of a bit thin on the ground. But uh, I mean, they did an astonishing job actually of, of of bringing that to life and and it looking plausible, I guess, in terms of of it being you know like the original would have looked. But yeah, the the paucity of material for those stories is incredible. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I'm sure you've probably watched the the Terry Nation Army videos, yeah, uh, which do deep dives into Dalek props. And there was one that was like uh, looking at the Daleks' master plan. Like, there's this one shot, basically of a wide shot of a studio in production during a rehearsal, and you could see like the prop for the time destructor underneath a thing, and like that's their only indicator of what the time destructor prop looked like, just because it's like right there, and that like in the background on a studio i mean you know like there's we're just zapruding these still images of studio shots to try and determine what some of this doctor who looked like it's archaeology yeah. in many ways missing episodes yes. of doctor who is archaeology and we're like trying to piece together what it might have been like and i i i kind of regret not sort of committing like the loose cannon recon or the telesnap recon of enemy of the world or web of fear to memory before watching mm. the the when they were rediscovered because I would have liked to known what the change like. I think I still have the recons though for those mm. two and I saved them just so one day I could sort of let's watch the recon of Enemy of the World yeah, and compare it to what it actually looked like. Like I know that the the people who do the recon sort of try and follow the camera script as much as possible and, and telesnaps are a lot easier than having to sort of recreate entire yeah. scenes as Loose Cannon has had to do for a lot of the uh, season three stuff. But just to see what the difference is between uh, what you can tell from a camera script and then what it actually looks like, you know, the camera moves a lot more, I think, when in yes. actual episodes, whatever I sort of have 1960s Doctor Who, I just think of static cameras everywhere. But there's moves, there's little like mini crane shots and stuff that mm. happen in studio that I don't think we, we sort of give them credit for. They're a lot more visual than, than, than we think, but because it only exists in audio form, we, we don't really have the the visual element in, in mind when we listen to them or watch the recon yes well especially in with enemy that um the helicopter taking off from the beach mm. um yeah and in fact i think all of those film sequences uh, you know we, we lost a lot by only having the telesnap so i guess you know some of the studio stuff was it would have been a little bit slower moving but um but yeah we're, we're so lucky to have that and so lucky to be able to see that that it it was it was a much more interesting story than perhaps we'd given it credit for from the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it's interesting with 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 missing episodes. We've got quite a lot of of unlikely heroes in in the story. You know, you've, right. You, you, we've, so we've already mentioned John Cura with his telesnaps. We've also got Graham Strong, you know, in, in his teens uh, fiddling around the back of the telly, um, <laughs> sol- soldering cables to so he can he can get a a, a cleaner sound coming off off air so yeah and, and i mean i i did briefly see graham strong he, he came to a convention in in the uk well probably only a couple of years before he died and it was it was nice that he was able to get a little bit of of uh, reaction from people to to the work that he'd done but yeah i mean he's not the only person who who did that but a lot of the stuff is based on his copies certainly for that that mid portion of the um, the trout era it's it's staggering that like literally every episode exists in audio form because of people like Graham Strong and from day one like even though we don't need the audio for Unearthly Child, 
It is there. Off-air mm. recordings exist for the first ever episode of Doctor Who onwards. Mm. And, you, you know, you have to think that there's probably off-air recordings for a lot of other stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, it's just Doctor Who gets a lot of the, the attention and everything. So there, it's just that there were people back then who were wanting to, you know, listen to things later because it's the only way they could sort of capture it. It's, it's somewhat romantic in a way, you know, because I, I remember watching TV in my youth as well. Mm. Before we had a VCR, and just like, oh, uh, that was fun. I'd like to watch that again. I, I, I think of uh, Return of the Jedi, which is a bit off topic, but I remember watching it in the theater in '83 when I saw it, and I loved yeah. the Sarlacc pit sequence to death because mm-hmm. it it was eight, and so the, there was lots of stunt falls and everything else that I just thought was quite fascinating. And they had little trading cards for it and a, and a storybook which I had, and based on my memory of seeing it once in the theater. And those cards and picked like two or three pictures in the storybook. I would reenact it with my Star mm. Wars figures or my Lego figures countless times. And that's it. I, I never saw the movie again until like 86 when we got a VCR. So like just mm. on that one memory was I was sort of like like coasting on, on, on fumes in a way and trying to mm. reenact this. And so to think about people like recording the audio of, of Doctor Who off, off the TV, it's just like... Uh, I kind of wish I was able to do that with Star Wars in a way back in the day. So yeah. it, it, it's uh, it's fascinating that the people have sort of always done that. It's, it's not something you have to really worry about now. Um, but back then, like, it was a, a thing that you just sort of had to grasp and hold on to because, mm. um, because you know, you never knew if you were going to ever see it again. Yeah. I mean, I had a friend who, who recorded the Davison era um, maybe late Baker as well onto C90 cassettes, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which which occasionally let me borrow. But yeah, I mean, so so, so that was going on even as late as that. I, I guess not long after that, then video recorders became more current. Uh, but but yeah, it was it was still going on, even mm-hmm. at that stage. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. The I, there was I think an extra on the Carnival of Monsters DVD set, and it probably made its way well probably will make its way no it's on the blu-ray of course it is um the uh, there's like a day in the life basically of, of bbc television center it's like a thing from 1972 and then there's like snippets of them shooting carnival of monsters in the gallery and stuff which right. is why it ended up on that and you you get a feeling of how ephemeral television was back then it was mm-hmm. very much a theater company that happened to be on tv you know they they they're shooting a thing with Helen Mirren and uh, on some period piece and then they're, they're okay there we are rehearsing it shooting it boom uh, strike the sets take all the sets down they're repainting it overnight and then it's up and ready for the next thing that's being shot mm. on the next day and you know all the sets like some of them they save for future things but otherwise there's no room that production's done boom it's gone and and you realize that you know the videotaping of it wasn't for it wasn't for safekeeping. It was purely so that we could n- capture it and air it later. And then it was, mm. it was a medium for that and not one of, of actual preservation. Um, yeah. And so, it, you know, we often blame the, the BBC, how dare you junk everything. But, you know, we're lucky in a way that tying it back to audio recordings that we have audio recordings of every single Doctor Who episode. And a lot of missing episodes are, are still there for various reasons. There are other shows that don't exist at all. I think what the uh, Jerry Davis was uh, script editor on a soap called United, mm-hmm. which I think was about Manchester United. I think it was in 1967. 
there's like 160 odd episodes of that. None exist. Not a single one exists. And I'm not sure about what the audio is. You know, we have 97 missing episodes of Doctor mm-hmm. Who currently. There's probably a lot less than that. I shouldn't say a lot, but uh, that's more episodes than, than some shows had episodes, period. And none of those exist. So we're, we're kind of lucky that out of that weird... Uh, ephemeral age of of sort of televised radio that TV was back in the first 10 or 15 years of its mainstream existence that that we have as much as we do. Hmm. Indeed. I mean, mean, other other unlikely heroes, I guess, in the missing episode story, Sue Moulton, who happened to pick Doctor Who, could have picked anything else, but happened to pick that one. Uh, even Ian Levine, I mean, love him or hate him, if he hadn't rattled a few cages uh, back in the late seventies, you know, who knows what might have happened there as well. So, yeah, it, it's it is it is a story of you know, on the one hand, yeah, that, that, that we were unlucky that that some of them got thrown away, but but astonishingly lucky that so many of them got saved. It's it's fascinating, you know. Ian Levine is the the fact that he became known to the archive department at all is funny just because he would go in and like basically buy copies of old episodes because you could do that back then that that was the state of archive television at the time you could just go to the bbc hey can i copy some films from existing episodes that you have and they would do it and i just like that's hilarious and the only reason oh can i can i get of this 1960s episode oh actually we don't have it anymore mm. that's where you find out that some of them are missing yeah it's uh, like people who recorded at home it's, it's sad in a way that um what the earliest uh, known video recording of a, of a doctor who episode in the uk just happens to be the space pirates part two which is the <laughs> one that already exists in pristine 35 millimeter film quality yeah. Um, I wonder how many other home recordings are out there, possibly, that uh, that are actual proper VHS recordings. It's um to tie it into miss- missing television, not just missing Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, there's I- I'm a keen viewer of old sports, North American sports, mostly baseball and hockey and stuff. And there's a weird, I mean, obviously there's there's missing broadcasts there too, but there's a weird gap in the early 70s is actually when there's a lot of missing like World Series baseball and Stanley Cup hockey for mm-hmm. 72 and 73. I think none of those uh, championship games, for instance, exist in original television broadcast. Mm-hmm. And the only reason that some of them do is because people we're recording them at home. That's like the original broadcast masters aren't existing, but the people who mm-hmm. were recording them at home were the, were the reason why. Uh, I was hoping, I was wishing that perhaps there would be other Ian Levines out there who just happened <laughs> to be going to like TV stations and like, you know, requesting yeah. uh, original copies of, uh, of of things. But um, but no, to, t- to tie it back to, to Sue Malden, I mean... Yeah, how, how random it was that she just chose Doctor. It probably wasn't random. She probably knew that it was a, a sort of a widespread kind of program, and perhaps because Ian Levine was already there and raised the uh, the alarm to begin with. It's not like mm. people were sort of like, you know, requesting other programs or anything. Honestly, another hero uh, is probably Terry Jones, 
of uh-huh. Monty Python fame because they were going to do the same thing to Monty Python broadcast masters, and, and he thought, no, let's get them out of there now. <laughs> they basically <laughs> rescued them before they had a chance to, to wipe them. And I think he made copies. I, I, I don't know if the original masters still exist for all the, the Python. I imagine Paul Vanessis will tell you about that. But, uh, but the fact that he had the foresight to sort of save them because that was just nat- you know natural BBC policy at the time. You know, mm. We were wiping these, we're showing them, and then we're wiping them because that's what we do and so for for him to sort of see that back as as early as 1970 was um, was quite something yeah yeah indeed yeah i i guess perhaps the next thing to talk about then are the uh, in terms of the unlikely heroes then are, are the the researchers the people who kind of delved into the paperwork so and 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 and, and gave us phrases such as bicycling and <laughs> and chains and 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 told us how how worryingly few copies of the episodes traversed the the, the world it's it's astonishing in in my mind that so few copies could have gone to so many places and and you know and survived intact knowing you know what um you know what what what, what airlines and and shipping containers are like you know you you wonder that some wouldn't have gone astray it uh that this is i mean we were all sort of had our eyes open to the term bicycling and stuff during the heady days of uh the omni rumor back in yeah. 2013 for most of us probably even earlier for some i used to work at a, at a tv station uh several tv stations but my last job in in tv was with in sort of the programming department so i was basically the one whose job it was to get tapes in later on digital copies towards the end of my tenure there and you started to realize like that the bicycling as as they called it was sort of a thing that was still happening like we would borrow the tape copies that we would make basically mm-hmm. ingest our own digital copy and then send them back mostly and then there would be you know these are from larger studios and then some independent filmmakers would sort of like you know would send their copy and often it would be like the only copy that they would have because they don't have like constant access to a uh, HD cam machine or anything to sort of like just can make it continuous copies. Tapes are not cheap or anything. So sometimes like I would get emails like, are you done with that tape? It's my only copy. And there were other times when I had a small pile at the back of my desk, which was basically orphan tapes. Like I would try to like contact the people who sent me them. We were done with mm-hmm. them after like our 18 month window. We have your tape. Can I send it back to you and never get a reply? And you realize like, you know, I, after the fact, I thought, this is how missing episodes happen. You know, this mm. is in like the, the 21st century. And, and so, yeah, it, it's it's still a thing that was sort of existing uh, it, up to the end of um, videotape delivery. Now, it's, of course, it's all digital and stuff. You could just send the files and stuff. But um, so so to hear that it was, it was a thing back in the day was quite fascinating. I, I also find fascinating that it's, you know, there are many reasons why Doctor Who exists as much as it does because it was so wildly popular in the first two years hmm. uh, that film copies were sent off everywhere. And so there's a, there's a you know, I don't know how many, if there's only just one or maybe there are multi- multiple copies of them. But what I also find equally fascinating is that, you know, exterior factors like the Six-Day War in... 1967 closed off the Suez Canal and so like physically shipping tapes to a lot of countries that they used to ship to quite routinely Mm. 
was no longer in the cards. So they would just send them to places they knew about, like New Zealand and Australia, and that's it. And so there are just far fewer copies being made to be sent around. And so that's why so few of the the Troutonier exist, because they couldn't find places to ship them to. So, you know, it's Mm. uh, that aspect of things is is fascinating to me as well. Mm. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you, you, you go into the... The first couple of series. I mean, you know, we're, we're always lamenting something like Marco Polo. How could so many copies of that disappear? But uh, you know, as far as we're aware, there's there's only the one copy of um, the Daleks that that um, you know where we have to put up with that rather nasty, jaggedy copy of Episode Five. Was it? That, that, that's, yeah. You know, with, with with all the interpolation. So yeah, it it, it it seems to be a little bit random as as to what um, what was found and what wasn't. Yeah, that's that is you know. Then there's high quality copies of other ones. There's stored field and suppressed yes. field recordings and all this other uh, technical nonsense and everything else. And and then there's you know the the uh, speaking of heroes, I suppose Damien Shanahan discovering the uh, sensor clips in Australia. How utterly backwards it is that they save this stuff that they aren't allowed to show, but yeah. wipe everything else in Australia. <laughs> So we get this tantalizing glimpse of like some graphic action for two or three seconds, and that's all we have for an entire story. But good yeah. on him for for finding that that sort of thing. You know, little things like that, off air recordings, uh, hmm. film trims from like uh, Fury from the Deep, which were found in some mislabeled can. Hmm. You know, which aren't the actual takes used in the in the program, but still we get kind of a a decent idea. I mean, you know, it's almost negligence. Um, is the real hero here? Yeah, yeah because yeah. there's that big batch of, uh, of films that came back from Australia in June of 1976. Uh, the probably the source of many of the one-offs, like Underwater yeah. Menace and other ones that, that have been found since then. And you wonder, well, what happened to the rest of them? Were they all were they all destroyed? And like these few like came out. Uh, there was a, a funny cartoon that I saw a few years ago, and there's these two guys standing with film cans in front of a furnace, and they're like chucking them in. It says, "Okay, whichever ones we miss, we keep." Basically, <laughs> that's pretty much what what it was. They're so randomly selected yeah. from that. And then even the uh, the negligence of uh, of the telecine operators making. Mm. The uh, the sixteen millimeter black and whites of the copies of the Pertwee episodes, they're supposed to turn off the uh, color image on it so that yeah. it makes a, a decent black and white one, yeah. and they they forgot every time apart from like the mind of evil <laughs> like this like <laughs> it's their negligent it, their negligence is why we have the chroma dots on the 16 millimeter film which allows mm-hmm. them to pull the color out all these years after the fact so there are heroes but there are also accidental heroes i think when it comes to doctor <laughs> who missing episodes yeah yeah and how astonishing that australia should be the country that's prudish enough to want to chop out sections of of, of doctor who i know <laughs> like of all things and not really like that that dangerous stuff either that's what i find quite it's mostly just knives and everything else that getting stabbed in but as you say australia is a is a lawless hinterland how dare they uh, <laughs> take to although if it wasn't for that we wouldn't have anything i suppose right mm. So, so Stephen, how do you get on with the animations? Um, how, how do you feel about them? I think they are a. I appreciate them. I, I think I, I, I. I've said this before. I, I like the um, the actual visual of of the actual actors and stuff. Yes. Perhaps because I'm used to it. That's probably what it is. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people aren't going to be as um, 
proactive as you and I tracking down copies of, of recons and stuff. Sure. It's, it's, it is a great way to sort of introduce people to a story that would never experience yeah. to begin with. And, you know, kudos to like, you know, BBC America for not only paying to have them animated and stuff. I mean, the, obviously the BBC is involved too, but actually airing them. Yes. Like Power of the Daleks went out on BBC America, you know, <laughs> they screened it. They, they sent it to theaters and I watched a two hour animated recon of Power of the Daleks on a cinema screen. It's, wow, uh, yeah. you know, a, you, you would, they wouldn't do that with a Telesnap recon. So uh, it, yeah. it, it opens a lot of eyes and, and and a lot of new fans, I think, to to missing Doctor Who. So I, I'm 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 very much in favor. I'm glad they're doing it at the pace that they are now. Yes, because the in the invasion, it looked increasingly like that was going to be a one off, hmm. uh, and it was for for several years until they started doing the um, the odd missing ones for just sort of filling the gaps of the DVDs. But now that they're just like going full on and doing hmm. animated six part stories, is 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 quite exciting actually because you can sort of tell they're really concentrating on filling the gaps. I imagine one day that the season four box set will be predominantly animated stories. Um, yeah. But there, but on the other hand, there is that sort of like finality to it. We're animating it because there's no hope in this thing coming back. And that's sort of like, ah, oh, like my dream is to make animated episodes redundant because it, uh, <laughs> yeah. it, would, it would mean that we found the actual episodes again. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I guess, I mean, but in particular, season four looks the least hopeful. You know, there, there, there are, there are reasons why you might feel a little bit more hopeful about either season five or season three, although maybe they're cl- clutching at straws. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, it, it it does look a little bit, you know, sadly a little bit uh, bleak for 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 season four. But it, uh, I mean, personally, for, as far as I'm concerned, I I enjoy watching the animations. I mean, it's never as good as watching the originals. When 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 the um, faceless ones came the other day, I'm, I'm probably going to be envious now. Is it going to be months before it hits <laughs> Canada or something? Many months, many yeah, months. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, I I instinctively watched episodes one and three. Or, you know, on the original, and, and watch the animation for the rest, just because, you know, I'm 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 never going to to want to substitute an animation for for the the real thing. But I, you know, but I can see why they want to do it. I can see why somebody else would would prefer to see it looking consistent all the way through. And and uh, as you say, I think it's it's a good way of experiencing the story. I mean, I've I I have listened to the soundtrack of the Faceless Ones. But to be honest, the, the the story only stuck with me. I think watching it this time as as an animation, so uh, I think it does help in that way. It's a tricky, you know. I, I think a story has to sort of be audibly exciting enough to warrant a, a you know to be entertaining enough for a telesnap recon. You know, mm. as much as I love the massacre, it's. A tie. Actually, no, because that's very dialogue driven, and I think Faceless Ones is a lot of you know Troughton's a very skulking doctor, and he won't sort yeah. of vocalize his his mannerisms as, as much as Hartnell would. You know, he's sure. he's, he's a television, he's a proper television yeah. actor. You could tell that Hartnell's sort of born of the stage and of film and stuff, where he had to sort of say everything. And Troughton is very much rooted in television and letting the visuals speak for themselves, which makes for not necessarily the, the best listening when you're mm. 
when you're listening to a recon, and so you can tell that the animator's like, what do we do here? He's just, like, wandering around the studio, but he's being he's being perfect, Patrick Trout and Doctor, sort of, like, yes. taking everything in without speaking. So, and, and sometimes it's it's also the music, you know. Uh, Faceless Ones is a notable sort of, like, uh, BBC Radiophonic workshop atmosphere, more than yes. anything. It's not so much yes. a score, it's an atmosphere that it they're is, creating. Yeah. Whereas Evil of the Daleks, for instance, has a very distinctive score, so you can watch, listen to that one and, and sort of know what to feel based on what the music is doing. And so, yeah, Faceless Ones is, is tricky in that way, unless you sort of see the visuals and what's going on with that sort of low, moody tone sort of coming in. Uh, I can see why uh, the visuals would help. Uh, I'll get back to you on that in 2021 uh, <laughs> when the DVD comes out here. Yeah. Yeah, no. Well, I I, I think um, as as you say, I, the 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 soundtrack is definitely helping that one in 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 terms of the menace. Yeah, I like that. So, uh, I mean, I guess inevitably we can't have this discussion without having a uh, a quick pot at the Omni rumor and and the circumstances around that. And I, and I guess as much as anything, perhaps the madness that overtook fandom for many, well, several years anyway. Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, certainly as in my own case, I think you know, I became somewhat obsessional for a number of years in terms of oh, me too, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> in terms of try, you know, and 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 going into a lot of minutiae that that. I mean, as, so as we said at the start, I mean, I've I've been aware of, of missing episodes for what thirty odd years at that time, and I and I had. I'd always had this nagging thought at the back of my mind: Have they really looked? Have they really looked? Have they, have, have they gone and looked? I mean, not not of course enough that I mm. actually got off my own bottom and went and had a look myself. But you know, have they gone and looked? You know, right. are, 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 are we sure? So, so the thought that somebody else could have gone and looked, I mean, it it, it kind of had the ring of plausibility about it that that um, that things are still out there, and of course that that then that should be followed up shortly after by some actual um, episodes being returned. And, and and having indeed sat on a shelf for for many years, yeah. I mean, all the ingredients, I guess, were were there. The the internet age, yeah, for 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 a fantastic um, explosion, and and um, and perhaps a foretaste of of our current times. So, you know, real polarizing of opinion among the fan community that between those people who said no, no, that you know, he can't possibly have found anything, and those people who are oh, he must have found everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I don't know what your experience was. Well, I the my first experience with I think uh, what became the Omni Rumor was, it, was at Chicago Tarts in 2012, November of 2012, uh-huh. and it was it was flying. Ever the the discussion was just like all over, and that was uh, the Christmas. It was the November leading up to the um, the Snowmen, the Christmas special that year. Yeah. And I remember someone telling me there, like, oh, uh, no, it's real. They found, like, Web of Fear because they're referencing it in the upcoming Christmas special. At the last scene, somebody told me, uh, they said, uh, he's going to say, oh, I remember something about uh, the Yeti in the underground. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I thought, okay, whatever. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll park that. And when the Christmas mm. special comes out, uh, I'll see if they're right. And sure enough, there's a scene. You could tell that Stephen Moffat has written that Christmas special around the fact that the Web of Fear has been found because yeah. there's so many references into that. And when he looks at that little lunchbox, uh, you know, so obviously he was planning on it coming out as well. I Mark Ayers was at that convention that weekend and I 
I interviewed him for various, you know, just audio stuff as, yes. because there's so many things you can talk to Mark Ayers about. Yeah. And just, I just thought at the end, at the end of this interview, I'll just throw a question about missing episodes. I'm sure I'll just shoot it down and stuff. And when I asked him, like, what do you think, you know, these crazy rumors? Aren't they crazy and silly? And I, I expect him to just, oh, yeah, just ludicrous and stuff. But then he sort of, like, paused and says, hmm, yes, it's most. And I just thought... He didn't shoot that down at all, mm. and that just flared my uh, curiosity. And then, of course, yes. when I saw the snowman, I thought, "Oh my, this is actually happening, isn't it? Something mm. is really up here." And then, uh, me and another person connected. I want to say May eighth, twenty thirteen, is when I when I was first like, had, you know, when we all sort of disc- I discovered the ninety episode thing, yeah. and the you know the the fascinating thing is that that rumor was everywhere. Like it wasn't just amongst like low level fans and stuff, you know, like Mark Gatiss was sort of like excited about it. Like other, like notable fans seemed to be thinking like, this is actually a thing that's happening. Hmm. And I, you know, and we were all doing the digging and stuff. Like I was, uh, those are heady days, heady, innocent days in a way. Like I, I still get emails for com, which is that ship to sea based (laughs) shipping company, which, uh, of course we all found like, you know, that someone called P Morris from Liverpool had shipped three tons of film cans from, uh, uh, somewhere in Africa to, to Liverpool. And so I created a C rates account just to get updates and stuff on things. And so I still get the occasional email. I could, I could unsubscribe from that, but I don't. I no. don't as a memory to those heady days when I was like tracking down film can shipments to, to, uh, from Phil Morris. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was driving, I think, I think I knew that, that something was happening at this point because this, the art radio free scar gets you connections over the years. And so I sort yes. of had an inkling that something was going down, but yeah. I didn't know when it was. And I was driving around in the mountains in, in Alberta here on the weekend of, uh, uh, the basically five or six days before the the actual announcement happened on October yep. 9th. And it was just such a surreal experience. My friend was in the car and I said, could you drive for a bit? I need to like get, be on top of this in there. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, it's actually happening, but it's only web and enemy or something. I think that's mm. when I sort of like... So it, it got pared down from 90 to 9. Yeah. Uh, it was probably originally 12, let's face it. I think, you know, I, I do believe Phil Morris when he says that he had web part three, but someone walked off with it what's curious is that uh, you know the actual timeline of things i think he probably discovered that in 2011 perhaps mm-hmm. even earlier and it only came out in 2013 that he had it so like how long ago did he find those episodes what else did he find why were there three tons of film cans what else is in there you know he keeps mm-hmm. sort of like leading everyone on but then you realize like that's seven years ago now is, is 2013 yes. when those episodes came out so how long can you lead people on thinking that you have more Doctor Who and stuff. So really the Omni rumor still is kind of like out there a little bit, but uh, I figured yeah. during these times, like there's nothing better to do than say, okay, here are the missing episodes. <laughs> Please enjoy them. Give you something something to, to look forward yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I very briefly met Phil Morris just over a year ago. So he he went to the Missing Believed White thing in, in, uh, in London. Mm-hmm. So he came out with that with that you know, phrase, you know, I'm, I'm, we're going to light the blue touch paper. That said, the frisson among the the crowd, which it was interestingly stuffed with quite a lot of who luminaries. I mean, it wasn't just 
bog standard fans. Mm-hmm. And uh, and afterwards, he was he was um, he was talking to people, and um, my friend Paul Morris, no relation, who's uh, a big Finnish author, he, he he sort of digged me in the ribs, and he said, you know, go up and have a chat with him. Go on, you, you can do that. <laughs> right. So so I th- well, so I thought, well, okay, well, we, we we can do that. And um, so he's an interesting character. I mean, I I, th- I think you're a, you're a, a similar height to me, about sort of six feet five or so. I, I, Phil Morris isn't quite that tall, but he's he's not far off. He's certainly over six feet tall. He's so he's he's quite an imposing presence, quite broad, and he's got you know quite a, quite piercing eyes. Um, I mean, he was very friendly, very mm-hmm. and, and and he spent a long time talking to all of the people who wanted to talk to him. But yeah, I thought actually I can sort of see that this is a this is a charismatic kind of guy who, who could easily have talked people, uh, uh, you know, in foreign countries into handing over stuff in 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 return for something. So yeah, there, there, there was definitely something about him. But yeah, um, we, you know, we, we we kind of felt that 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 blue touch paper thing was maybe the 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 the, the start of something else, but it hasn't proven to be. So yeah, who knows? Who knows? I know. Well, I mean, I think there's been other uh, archive. TV stuff that he's found, Markham and Wise and stuff that doesn't yes. necessarily register on on this side of the Atlantic and stuff. But it's still like any missing television well, is exciting. You know, it's uh, back on the sports thing. Um, the nineteen sixty Game Seven of the nineteen sixty World Series is um, is famous because it was uh, won on a home run, the first time to ever that ever happened. Bill Mazeroski mm. hit a home run to win ten nine over the Yankees, and the broadcast was had gone missing. Uh, for decades, and only they only found it because Bing Crosby, who was part owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates at the time, but was so superstitious that he, mm. he couldn't watch the game live because he'd be too nervous, so he had someone tele-record it and, so he could watch it later. He, I don't know if he did, but that film uh, rested in his wine cellar for 40 years <laughs> and so was in perfect condition because it was in perfect storage conditions and they just happened to find it there. So like it was, uh, so the fact that that thing uh, exists uh, is, is, you know, it, it, it set uh, the cat amongst the pigeons when it came to missing sports broadcasts. And, uh, and so any, any missing yeah. material is, is genuinely exciting. I mean, uh, uh, to hear, Paul Vanessis uh, on my uh, Ready for Scaro. Yeah, what is that? A couple of years ago now. I mean, it was just last year. I can't remember. Yes. Um, no, I think it was two years ago. Yeah. Gosh, that was a long time ago. You know, him just sort of casually drop the news that uh, a film collector has a couple of episodes like hmm. sitting there. It, you know, like we okay. So I guess we, you know, I say ninety-seven. Ep- there are there are fewer than ninety-seven missing episodes yeah. because there are people out there, film collectors. Uh, who have got something? I, either they're holding on to it because they know what it's, uh, you know, what it is, or they just it's in that pile of stuff. I mean, I've, I talked to Paul oddly enough with Paul Morris next to me uh, at the Gallifrey one that was after that, and he was uh, he was giving us little nuggets of info just to various other film collectors around the world, and you real you sort of gather you get the impression that there's, you know, overseas. Uh, sales and stuff might have dried up a little bit, and it's start. It's time to start looking inward to see what film collectors or people who have recorded stuff off television or something else like that might be where we find some more missing episodes. So, so uh, th- that could be the base yeah. of the new Omni rumor, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you also make me wonder now you, with your mention of, of sporting clips. I'm I'm, I'm uh, enthusiastic um, 
cricket watcher. I've, I've got absolutely no idea, now you come to mention it, how much of England's test cricket uh, highlights or clips are, you know, exist in the archives. It's maybe something to go and, and, and find out, but maybe that would be disappointing. <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, it, as you say, there's so much TV that's out there that we really don't know whether it exists or not, you know, from yeah. day to day anyway. It, it, yeah, and you know, it, it's storage is an issue, but not so much anymore. So it's you know, there's, it's uh, it's also fascinating what you find on YouTube. How sometimes like some stuff from like you know, there's a lot of stuff, sports stuff from like the 1960s that exists on Telekinesis, you know, uh, black and white film because they were making mm. it the same way. The CBC in Canada actually had a had a policy where they they didn't wipe anything. I don't think, but it's also mm. like similarly not available anywhere. It's it's very frustrating if you want to watch some archive television and stuff there's not really an outlet for it but i don't think wiping was their policy which of mm. course set a lot of canadian fans of well surely they must have marco polo because cbc bought the first <laughs> first five stories of doctor who back in uh, in 1964 that famous shot of the photo call of verity lambert surrounded by the four cast members actually from the the uh, press launch about how they sold uh, those episodes to canada right but no, sadly, CBC uh, had the films uh, for the overseas films and sent them back when they were done with them. Yes. They did not make copies of Marco Polo. So, uh, so that opened and closed very quickly the door that, uh, that Canada had, had some missing yeah. episodes somewhere in CBC. Yeah, sad, sadly, that they should have gone to a, such a law-abiding country. <laughs> yeah, like we follow the rules. Yeah. Uh, although oddly enough, I think some of the uh, the um, early color broadcasts of John Pertwee stories on TV Ontario, uh, which is nowhere near I am, but uh, hmm. uh, has actually been the source of a few color Pertwee from I think season nine. I think uh, I think maybe the Sea Devils and curse of peladon might come from tv ontario initially so we, we we do play our our little part i guess when it comes to returning some some missing doctor who material sure okay well look Stephen, you, you've you've talked to me for um you know for, for for an hour now and that's very kind of you oh it's, um, it's missing episodes twist my rubber arm here <laughs> is there is there anything you particularly want to our, our listeners on on something who you'd like them to be aware of that that, that, that you've done that you'd like to push? Oh, uh, like what's co- well, goodness, um, it's a it's a weird time, obviously, that we're in right now with uh, a global pandemic occurring. Uh, it's something that literally no one else has uh, has experienced because I don't think there are many people who uh, went through the Spanish flu no. over a hundred years ago who are giving advice now. So, so we've recorded a bunch of podcasts because there's there's people who are available <laughs> available to do them, I suppose. But yeah. uh, we we started uh, we're we're starting our commentaries for Frontier in Space and Planet of the Daleks sometime next month. But they they just went out uh, on our on our Patreon feed to our Patreon supporters. But uh, no, the the one thing about podcasting is that uh, this is kind of what we do every week anyway: is talk to people over the internet and and record it. So. Uh, so we'll we'll just continue on, you know, to sort of try and and get listeners through this malaise that we're in, having to stay at home to save the world, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we can continue on and entertain everyone and and yeah. educate them, perhaps, and and sort of just sort of help pass the time while uh, while the real uh, heroes of the world and the. Uh, medical profession and people stocking the shelves and and uh sending us goods and services and stuff that keep this uh, entire world running let's face it if if we can keep those people entertained and diverted for an hour and a half every week or something like that it's uh it's all worth it certainly yeah yeah absolutely 
Sure. Okay. Well, look. Thanks. Thanks for uh, for talking to me. It's it's really good of you. I've um, I've listened to Radio Free Scorer for for uh, more years and it's probably healthy for me. So it's it's <laughs> nice ni- nice to be able to chat to you in in person, uh, even over the the medium of the internet. And uh, and it's it's been it's been fun. Yeah. It's been. Oh, thank you. I I haven't had a good missing episode chat in, in some time. So it was uh it, it was it was nice. Yeah. Thank. And I, I as I say, I don't usually get called to be on podcasts. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I get tired of hosting them. So it's like thank you very much for not having me host a call. It's that's awfully uh it's awfully nice. So. Yeah. Great. It's quite funny, really. Um, me tr- trying to be feel like I'm, I'm I'm in charge of this with a with a guy who's done about a thousand podcasts. But there we go. <laughs> It's it's been a few. It's been yeah, a few. Yeah. I don't I don't know how off track we went there for you based on your roadmap, but no, it's fine. No, I mean uh, I, I I had something in the this this will happen to you increasingly as you get older. I had something in the front of my mind, and then it 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 sort of disappeared, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sure we'll get back to something. Right, back when um, that Gallifrey one that uh, Paul Vanessis was at because yeah. we had him on our live show, and I you know ask you know there's some follow-up info and stuff there and then i it is in somewhere in the bot in the downstairs in the convention floor where i stood there for two hours not drinking but just sort of like you know pretty buzzed at that point it's and yeah. paul morris is there and a couple other people and paul was just sort of like you know uh showing me some photos of like people what he had what they had collected and stuff and like and you know the, the weird thing is that these film collectors aren't getting any younger uh and so yeah. uh, it in in the next few years, sadly, their collections might be handed off to to people who might best know what to do with them. So, uh, uh, yeah, that number of ninety seven might be it might be decreasing perhaps before the the end of this decade is out. Yes, well, certainly, I think the the, the fact that that Paul Vanessis knows where they are fills me with uh, with a sense of of reassurance, you know, compared with maybe some other people who might know where they are. So, yeah, yeah, um, I, I, I'm confident that that, uh, that Paul would do the right thing with them. He's a very pragmatic fellow, is Paul Vanessis. So when you know when he says I, I'm I'm okay with where they are right now, I'm thinking okay, I will trust you on this, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.